Hello and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Rory Gardner. Rory is a 2018 Country Music Awards nominated artist. He's appeared on multiple CMT nationally broadcasted reality shows, shared the stage with a number of great country acts like Keith Urban, and has music featured in commercials, one including stars Kevin Nealon, Chris Bosch, and Arnold Palmer. He has fused his music background with stand-up comedy and has made a number of television appearances for brands like Under Armour or shows like The Handmaid's Tale. He has over 50 million views on TikTok. His comedy sketches have been featured on Funny or Die, America's Funniest Videos, and you can watch his hilarious 2019 TEDx talk on using humor as a coping mechanism. In this episode, we talk about one experience he had that he thought was a complete failure, but it actually turned out to be one of the biggest successes he's had. We talk about how to change your mindset around the day job. You know how that is. And we talked about how he started focusing on the long game through authenticity instead of chasing the short game and what's popular. I really, really enjoyed talking with Rory on this episode, and I hope you do too. Please welcome to Level Up with Shay, Rory Gardner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Level Up with Shay. I'm super excited about today's guest, just freaking just talented in so many different ways, music and comedy, and I'm excited to learn more about him today, Rory Gardner. Hello. Hello. And welcome to this conversation. Yes, coming to us from Canada today, from Canada, doing some comedy in Canada. But you travel all over the place, right? I was lucky enough to spend the winter in, like, like Florida was my hub, but then I would fly into, like, the, you know, warm places like the Caribbean and stuff to do, uh, do like, ship gigs and stuff like that. It was just, like, I'm trying to be, it's, <laughs> I'm just basically trying to be a snowboard at this age, and uh, it's working so far, but. You're trying to be a snowboard. Snowbird. So oh, a snowbird, snowbird for Canadians is like when you, you just spend the winters in, in warm climates, right? And that's usually reserved for 70-year-olds. But I'm trying to hack the system and do it now. So I just try to get as many gigs as I can below the, the equator or whatever. Yeah, that's smart. And I, I saw you made a ton of videos flashing back from like Canada cold weather to warm weather on the ships and stuff. And that was very funny i'm sure that took some took some thought and planning because you're like okay i have to get this cold weather footage when i'm in cold weather and then the warm weather yeah it's like a week in the making right i'm like i gotta splice this somehow together yeah 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 well cool i you know i kind of want to start like i do with most of my guests in your childhood because i know you you know you you were a musician just a full-time musician at i I say a pretty young age and just very talented in that way. So when you were a kid, were you like musically inclined? Like, was that something that, hey, you started playing an instrument or guitar when you were very young? No, not at all. Uh, my, my whole family was into music. My dad was in a bluegrass band. He played guitar. My sister had piano lessons. My mom plays piano. And it was like, they're just pressuring me to like, you got to learn an instrument. You're not a part of this family unless you learn an <laughs> instrument. So like, ugh. So I, I picked up the drums because in grade mm. six, my, my teacher brought his drum set into school and he let us play it. I'm like, well, I'm going to do this. So I played the drums. And then you 
realize really quickly that it's really boring when no one else is there to play with you. You're just keeping a beat. Like you need yeah. something melodic. So then when I was like 16, I got into guitar and I'm like, cool, this is my new thing now. And uh, it's going to appease my family. Finally, I get into an instrument, right? That doesn't make a lot of racket. I'm thinking, hey, I'm a pretty good guitar player. This is working out well. And then you get to see other people like in your high school, for example, play guitar and there's this one guy in particular i remember i was in uh this is like grade 12 or something battle of the bands right and there's all these crappy school bands you know what i'm talking about they probably had them at your school as well and everyone was the worst except for this one guitar player who i I swear to god like who who is this person like why is he 12 years old and still amazing and so uh it turns out a few years later he became um a few years, like 10 years later, he became Justin Bieber's guitar player. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's toured the world with, uh, with, with him. He's on every award show and tonight show and the whole thing. And it, and it was great. We were rubbing elbows with, uh, people talented than me. Talented. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he was in, he was in your high school or he just like competed no, no, he was in, he was in my high school. Like just a, okay. a regular dude, and uh, you know, went to the same gym, the whole thing. And he and he's just, uh, yeah, he's just a fabulous guitar player. He became, uh, he became that thing. Did you practice with him? Did he like inspire you to practice more? He push you to practice more? We were we talked at one point. We were going. To, this is like a brief conversation. We were we were thinking about starting a, a band, and because I was a singer, right? I was just a guitar player, and. We were chatting and I was like, yeah, I'm a singer. I also play guitar. And it kind of turned him off. He's like, I think he wanted to be the only guitar player in the band. So that uh, ended that relationship. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, during high school, you played guitar. You started at 16. And what did you do after high school? Did you go to college? Yeah, I wanted to be a rock star, but uh, I also didn't want to get... a beating from my mother. So I went to college and at that time is early 2000s. So they, there was a big tech boom happening and everyone was going to school, getting a technology degree and then coming out instant bazillionaires because of the boom. And then I graduated and the tech bubble burst. And then I did tech support for a couple of years because my timing is impeccable. Wow. So yeah, you just helped everybody who, <laughs> who needed help from that tech bubble burst in the tech world. Mm-hmm. So you studied tech in college. Yeah, I studied tech in college and then I would moonlight as a musician on the side. So I would just, I play bars at night and stuff like that. I was in an original band that sounded like, everyone wanted to sound like Creed at the time. That was like that mm-hmm. era. And every and every every band did sound like that. Anyway, so rock alternative, right? And then somewhere in that thing, I got bit with the country music bug. I listened to a Garth Brooks album. I'm like, this is way better than Creed. <laughs> I, just, I felt like I could be like a faster metabolism Garth Brooks. And uh, so I jumped into the, the country music world. And this is like before country was cool. Like I was the only person doing it. So, and I was already kind of a dork. So it's like, let's just lean into that and do this country music thing. And uh, I went to Nashville, recorded an album. And I used all the greatest session players imaginable. I used, I had Blake Shelton's fiddle player and Shania Twain's drummer and, and uh, you know, Tim McGraw's auto tuner. And it was, um, it was great. I thought this was going to be the, the best album ever. So I came up and I released it to radio in Canada and radio said, uh, 
this is not good. Hmm. I mean, it was good, but it just they, they didn't play it. So that's the impression I got. So it just wasn't right for radio. So then I just put that thing on the shelf and just continued to to play cover gigs and and you know write other stuff or do other things. And then I get this call from this ad company from New York. They're like, "Hey, uh, we we heard your song on uh, on YouTube from this album, and it's uh, it's called Break Free. We'd love to use that in our ad campaign for this uh, pharmaceutical product." I'm like, "What? That's sure. Why the heck not? I didn't know music licensing wasn't even a thing back then." Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they they used that. It got it was in a commercial with Kevin Nealon and Arnold Palmer. Uh, Chris Bosch, like NBA player, and it was just uh, it played for several years. It paid for the next, uh, you know, three or four albums I did. You know, one of the co-writers that bought an engagement ring for his fiance, down payment on a house. It was just like holy smokes! Oh my gosh. So the thing that I thought was a complete failure to begin with mm. was actually one of the uh, greatest opportunities that uh, that I ever had, and it just did. So I had that mindset at the time. It's like it's not necessarily the wrong thing as much as it is just it's not the right fit for this particular Mm. avenue Mm. yeah you know how did you feel after they told you no like were you in a depressive state I, i i mean i'm just curious like basically how long did it take you to bounce back or do you feel like there really wasn't like you just continued to play and no it took me about five like honestly five years probably to bounce back because at the time like i was in my twenties and you know, when you hear no, it's like, all right, well, I suck. So why, why even bother continuing? And then an opportunity like that licensing thing happened and it makes you think, all right, well, it never would have happened had I not decided to create the album to begin with. So, and then going back even further, I didn't want to be a tech person in school, right? Like who the hell wants to be a tech person? And so, but again, my mom forced me into college and I had to pay for that first album out of my own pocket, which I wouldn't have been able to afford to do so had I not gone to college, had my mom not made me. So all these little stepping stones led to that licensing deal, yeah. right? So now that I had I had that win, like from then on forward, I, I just I just create content because it's I know that, okay, it may not work in this scenario, but it may work somewhere else. And mm-hmm. I've just continued to do that with the best. There's most sure way to never succeed at anything is to not create at all. Yeah. And I kind of want to just go back a little bit to becoming a great guitar player and a great performer and a great singer. I mean, you come from a family of performers. So were you never nervous getting up in front of people and performing? Because now you're just, it seems, you know, I've seen you in person, just seen your videos. You're just very comfortable on stage. Did that just take a lot of practice, just a lot of reps to get comfortable on stage? Or do you feel like that was kind of natural for you? No, I'm, I'm still not a good singer or guitar player, but that natural ability, that natural comfortable, comfortable, comfortableness, comfortableness. Is that the word? Comfortability? Yeah, that's it. I'm Canadian. I don't (laughs) speak English, apparently. That's okay. Comfortability. Um, No, I swear to God, it's comfortableness. That's the word. I I mean, yeah, don't don't quote me on that. I don't know. Can you hold on while I get a dictionary? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) It's, yeah. So, okay. So, when I was, so after I, the big fail uh, with that album, I mean, I just went back into the clubs and just did, uh, 
like you know several days a week of of covers and like you're in a, in front of an audience just uh you know every night and and your 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 whole goal is to sing these tunes just to get a dance floor going and you just learn how to optimize what you do to make uh the audience you can, you can control them and that comes with practice and so once i got back into once I entered a comedy thing, like I still, I had that skill set, although it was a completely different skill set. It's still, I still had that instinct. And um, so when you see me comfortable on stage today, it's probably from that 10,000 hours of, um, mm -hmm. of doing that back in the day. Yeah. And that's so interesting because people, you know, especially when you're like doing cover songs and trying to get a dance floor going, you really need to be focused on the audience. It's not the audience needs to be focused on you or anything. It's like, oh, I need to bring out the best that I can to please the audience, basically. It's also surrounding yourself with people that you trust. And I remember when I was doing original music back in those like 2004 Creed sounding days, and I was playing with musicians who uh, I felt like would screw up from time to time. And it was like, unreliable so me as the front man i was always like in the back of my mind like oh my god is, is this gonna go off the rails and like everyone's going to look at me because even if a bass player hits the wrong note so for some reason it's the singer's fault <laughs> it's just because i'm mm -hmm. the guy that's projecting out anyway so it was it was a tense situation but then i got into these other bands like uh when i started hiring session musicians for example like professionals and i could just i knew they were going to be 10 times better than me. And so I was the weakest link in the band. Now I can just relax and really lean into what it is that I do because I didn't have to worry about anyone else's role. So surrounding myself with people better than me was actually the, you know, another key to putting on a, a better show because now I wasn't worried about the quality. Mm, yeah, totally. So basically the bar gigs, that was your full-time job after your tech support job then you moved into the cover band gigs. Well, there's a story behind that. So the the tech thing, uh, eventually I would, you know, the tech bubble, the tech industry would, you know, recover. And I got into uh, like consulting, like software consulting for the like government clients and stuff like that. So it was a bit more, uh, it was better than tech support, I guess. And, uh, but it was very, as a consultant, I can create my own hours and I can do it remotely and I can have a lot of flexibility. So I would play cover gigs at night and then I would just consult during the day. Or if I was on the road somewhere, I would be able to log in with a laptop, do the consulting and then play the gigs at night. And I liked that balance because again, I have a, I have my own podcast called the, the balanced artist. And what I'm trying to teach these people is that like, I mean, your audience may feel the same way. It's like, if you, your goal is to be a, a full-time artist and you just want that on your resume, it's like, I don't need a day job. But that same person is also asking you for a ride somewhere because they can't afford a car, right? So if you, uh, if you slap yourself with that label of full-time artist, I mean, tonight, for example, I'm working for like a half an hour and, you know, and then uh, that's it. But I have 23 other hours left in the day. What am I going to do with that? And so when I was in the songwriting days, I would uh, be writing and then I would try to stifle like I'd see this other song that was really popping on the radio. I'm like, I can write a song like that because I think that's where that's going to be lucrative. Like it's, that's what's popular. That's what I'm going to write to, but it wasn't really the style of writing that was authentically me. So I started writing for, try, again, trying to conform to something that wasn't necessarily 
me. So if you have your own income on the side, you can kind of create authentically instead of trying to completely monetize your art right at the get-go. So at that point, when I was being able to balance the day income with the songwriting is when I just decided, all right, now I can fund my own project. I created this entire album called Be You, right? It's like an authentic album of songs that I wanted to hear that hopefully other people will resonate with. And that was the first time that I was nominated for a country music award. Mm because it was just the authenticity kind of came through on the pages, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Like not trying to rush to be a full-time artist because then we can put so much pressure on our creativity and we can be like, oh, well, what is going to make this popular instead of what we actually want to write? Exactly. So those cover gigs at night at one point in time were my bread and butter and I would do it you know, six days a week. And then you, you're so exhausted from being up till 2am every night. And then the last thing you want to do is wake up the next morning and write a song. Right. Yeah. So when I, when I switched to doing the day job during the day and then just doing the, uh, the cover gigs on the weekends, I just had a lot more energy and a lot more mm. inspiration to be able to write because I, I had a better balance. And that was the key to, to that. It works for me at least. I yeah. don't know if everyone's different. Right. Yeah. Did you have specific goals during that time? Like, was your goal to fund an album and write an album and, you know, package that? Exactly. So like you're, you're basically using your day job. Again, everyone's like, oh my God, the day job is just dragging me down. Like if you just change your mindset around the day job, like now it's your sponsor, it's funding your creative career. All right. So I've got seven or seven plus albums now, and most of them were funded from the day job or residuals from the other albums that were paid for by the day job. Yeah. And so artists that are living paycheck to paycheck based on the gigs they do, they are reliant on other people to make their dreams come true, like a record label or an actual sponsor to do that. But you can kind of create your own luck if you have your own uh, funds. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, changing the mindset around that. It takes a while. It takes a while because I, I would I would feel that way about my like, you know, a nine to five job when I had that. But now I have now I've built skills. Now I've taken time, especially over the pandemic, and have been able to build specific skills to where I can freelance now. And now I have my own clients. So it does take a little while to build those skills and did the tech job did the you know consulting job did you feel like that helped you in other ways just besides you know monetarily yeah because it's I feel like creativity is spawned by adversity if everything's going really well like let's just say you live in a in a resort and just you you're every day is catered I don't know just give whatever the fantasy is right it's just like there's, there's not a lot of inspiration to do anything. But like for some reason, like most of these songs you hear on the radio are like love songs uh, from, mm-hmm. from heartbreak or, or whatever the case. It's from adversity. So I would find that when I had all the time in the world to write songs, I just wouldn't <laughs> because yeah, why, the, why would I? But then I got to a point where like, right, let's just get another contract. It's like I'm, I'm really just spinning my wheels here. So I would get into the contract and the day one, I'd be sitting in this cubicle and I write three or four songs because I'm like, oh my God, I got to write my way out of here. 
Yeah. And so it's like, I have to create adversity in my own life just mm-hmm. to, uh, just to be inspired. Same thing happened with my comedy, but, uh, I can get to that after it's, it's, uh, I was writing jokes and it was like, just stuff that would make the audience laugh, which I guess is the whole point of stand-up comedy, but it, jokey jokes. Right. But then, uh, my house got hit with this uh, tornado in, um, three years ago. And, I started, I had to write jokes about real things like near death experiences and what my family went through. And that is when my comedy career kind of uh, just took a turn for the better because it's people actually uh, connected more as opposed to just, uh, it's the difference between being a cover band and an original songwriter, right? Yeah. And that's so interesting. I, and I do want to ask you because, you know, you were a full-time musician and then moving into comedy, like maybe comedy wasn't your first choice, right? You wanted to be at first a rock star and things change and, you know, we, we go, we're on a certain path. So was there ever a time where you were like, okay, this path that I thought that I wanted to be a rock star doesn't isn't fitting me anymore. Doesn't seem like it's going to work or whatever. And so I'm going to kind of shift to comedy. Yeah. How did that go? How did you feel about that? Because I feel like sometimes people are like upset because they think they're, they didn't accomplish their dreams or, you know, they have to pivot and they didn't want to. So yeah. How did that go? Well, I entered my thirties and like the most success I had in music was through like commercials. So like, it's not really the rock star dream you'd envision. Like no one comes up to you after the show. They're like, Oh my God, your song about hamburgers really got me through some tough times. <laughs> right. So it's just like, it's not, it, it, music kind of became a job and I'd be doing these shows and like, uh, I'd, I'd be interacting with the audience in between songs and like telling jokes and just uh, stories. And I was like, this is like way more fun than the actual songs. I'd be rushing through the songs just so I could talk to the audience again. Like, <laughs> why don't I just get rid of the guitar altogether and just talk full time. And that's when I entered the comedy world. Mm, okay. So you kind of, you discovered it as you went along. I've always been like a fan of comedy and I'd go to the clubs. And again, I, I, I was like, I have this, um, I don't know what you would call it, like unapologetic, confidence where I feel I could do what they are doing even though yeah. I didn't you know you watch a comic on stage make a room full of people laugh it's like I could do that yeah. it's not as easy as it looks and you you discover that your first 200 times on stage right and so um uh I've always been a fan of comedy I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try and then I chicken out for year after year after year I would chicken out and then I saw this ad this sign on the wall it's like comedy contest uh sign up here I'm like, cool, why don't I do that? So now I have accountability. I have to show up because my name was on the list and they're going to force me to be there. And I did. I went to the show. I, I did not win, but I was hooked. Like, once you do it the first time, it's like going on a roller coaster. Once you don't die, it's not scary anymore. So you, now you're able to just continue along. And that was like 10 years ago. Yeah, that's super interesting. I just interviewed a stand-up comedian a while ago and he's like, it's the matrix. Like you take, it's the blue pill where you take it and you're like, you're hooked. That's how I guess, yeah, stand-up comedians feel. So you didn't necessarily feel that with music. You felt that more with comedy. Uh, Which? Of like being hooked, of just going up on stage, doing it and you're like, okay, I'm actually, I'm not the best at this, but I want to keep practicing this. 
Yeah, no, I did. I mean, at, at that time, I had been doing music already for like 15 years. So it's not like I was giving up anytime, you know, it's not like I tried it and then just gave up. I, I, yeah. I run a, a long course with music. And although I had this unapologetic confidence, I still, it's not as if I like, I showcased this to the, the my world, let's say, put it that way. So anything I try, even today, it's like I will practice in public, but I will also practice in public in private. So a good example would be when I first started comedy, I would go an hour and a half out of town to do these open mics because I didn't want anyone in my hometown to like see me uh, develop the skill set. So once I got confident enough to be like, all right, I'm, I'm getting laughs, this material is working, then I could start doing it in my hometown. And that's just me. That's just inside my own head. Like I just, it's, it's your it's your personal social network that is creating all this a trauma in your head right like strangers don't care like they're just there's there to have a good time but like if you think your 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 network at home or whatever sees you fail or whatever then it's like they don't want to see you struggle or you think that anyways so i, so I finally got confident enough to 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 do it in, in front of my people and the same thing happened with tiktok when that thing came out I was doing it on the platform alone. Like, no, I didn't know anyone else on TikTok. So I was just being an idiot on this new app. And I could just be free to do anything I wanted because I didn't know anyone else on it. And then once it started to blow up, I'm like, oh my God, people actually like what I'm doing. Then I started sharing it on my other social platforms that I knew people on. And so again, practicing in in public, but also in private. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have a lot of peers around here who go to the same mics and yes, yeah, sometimes it can be scary to do it in front of them, but not necessarily in front of like strangers. Yeah. It's funny too, because, you know, just because you're on stage doesn't mean you're like completely comfortable with the content, you know, you're comfortable with music, but then you have, it's another side that you have to get comfortable with comedy. So that's, that's very interesting. And then, okay. So your house got blown away, kind of destroyed in a tornado, like you mentioned, like three years ago, you made a video out of that, really helped the community kind of laugh about it and heal. And then you you had a TED talk talking about using humor with tragedy, you know, turning tragedy into humor. And you actually said that you had been trained to think that way. So do you feel like your family trained you to think that way? Like you kind of grew up that way or who taught you to turn tragedy or hard moments into humor. There's so much packed in there. So to begin with, yeah, there's no, the, the skills did not transfer from music to comedy. They're, for the first part of comedy, I'd still use the guitar. Like I would, it's just my comfort zone. And then I would use half the guitar sometimes, half not. People would tell me, it's like, you're funny with both, but like for some reason, when you pick up the guitar, your body language changes and you just become like instant comfortability uh, so I just lean into that for a little while and then it's when the tornado happened that's when I sort of put the guitar away and everyone's like why don't you try to become a real comic and so it came out of nowhere like tornadoes don't come to my hometown like I think the last tornado was like 1932 or something like that so if we get this warning on our phone it's like oh there's a tornado coming and I'm like ignoring it because why the hell would we so uh, I'm in the living room with the kids my neighbor's pool lands in the yard which is a pretty good indication that I should put on some pants. So then I grab my favorite kid. We head to the basement and, uh, you know, roof flies off. Kid's swing set disappears. 
but they don't care because now they have a new pool. So I'm creating this, uh, the next day after we discovered there was no fatal injuries or anything like that, it was just property damage because we lived in a kind of a wooded area and it was just mostly the trees that hit the house instead of houses blowing away. So we were out of the house for about a year while they rebuilt it. But once we discovered there was no uh, no injuries. I just, I wanted to put a smile on the neighbor's face. They were going through a rough time as they would. And so I just created this Cribs parody video. I go around the house and I would, uh, you know, here's my new tree house. Cause there's a tree in my bathroom, right? Or there's the truck, there's a tree on top of the truck. And I'm like, well, it's no longer an SUV. It's a compact. <laughs> so that got shared around the people of Ted talk saw it. They're like, we'd love for you to come speak at our conference on resilience, like using humor to overcome adversity. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of fun. And so uh, I did that and it gets shared around PTSD conferences and therapists use it to treat their trauma patients by using something they call sublimation, which is like replacing a negative situation with a positive. So this, through this entire process, like I just discovered like humor therapy is actually practiced in healthcare. Like laughter stimulates the immune system, reducing the effects of the stress hormone. So what I'm trying to tell you is that I'm pretty much a doctor. <laughs> Who can't say comfortability? Yes. <laughs> My PhD, well, that wasn't in the course. <laughs> Comfortableness. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, it's, and um, was that, did I answer your question? That was kind of a roundabout way. Well, you even mentioned in your TED talk that before then, before, you know, you faced this life or death situation you kind of took life for granted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had mentioned how I was conditioned to, yeah. to, to create that video. And it, it was because every, again, practicing in private on purpose or whatever the hell I said earlier, it's it's uh, I, every week. I, I thought like at that time, maybe I could leverage YouTube, be a YouTube star. So every week I would create a new sketch or a new YouTube video. I would just stand in front of the camera and try to make whoever was on the other end of that lens laugh and I would do that week after week after week so when this tornado hit instead of panicking for some reason it was just happened to be a Monday that's the day I record videos I picked up a camera and just used the situation as content and so that's what I was just conditioned to do there's this one guy in the neighborhood after the tornado happened he ran up the street in full camel like he's going to go hunt the tornado that's what he's conditioned to do that kind of heroism right like I I don't have that heroism I would I would challenge the tornado to a dance battle at best (laughs) So my, my conditioning and my heroism comes from a, from a comedic standpoint and, and um, that's what I did. Yeah. And I mean, do you feel like you had that in your childhood? Did your parents do that? Like turn tragedy into humor? No, not at all. It's, I mean, maybe I I don't think it it was hereditary as much as it is growing up, like just trying to use humor as a defense mechanism. Yeah. I would say the humor would mask my vulnerability. Like I was obviously going through a rough time. My kids were going through a rough time because, you know, my, my oldest was six at the time and you can't tell a six year old that tornadoes don't happen every day. They've happened for 15% of his life at that point. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, we got him a therapist because he had, you know, PTSD and I got over it pretty quickly. Like it was covered by insurance, which is great because he's a child that would cost you and I like $200 an hour. So what I was doing was I was trying to feed him questions to work some of my own stuff out through his benefits. <laughs> Therapist calls me up. He's like, uh, yeah, he's uh, having a hard time at work. He's afraid of going bald. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's great. I'm, that's 
great that you've, I mean, I think I've just recently over the past couple of years actually turned tragedy or trauma into humor. And I think it's because you kind of have to like heal from the trauma in order to turn it into humor. Because yes, I would also use humor as a defense mechanism, but you know, I don't think I really came from the mindset of I'm going to do comedy because this stuff is hard and I want to make light of it. That just wasn't my perspective as a comedian. And I guess you can have different perspectives. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I was able to put a positive spin on this tornado situation. Maybe because there was no injuries, it, it would have been in poor taste otherwise but not every situation is a laughing matter. Like I remember when I did the Ted talk, my theme was adversity, right? But the person in front of me who spoke before me was also on adversity and they were, they were talking about, they had been molested. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to put a positive spin on that. I'm not that talented of a comedian, but you know, I remember this was only last year I was in a, I was at an open mic and there was this woman who had never done comedy before but she was terminal. She had a stage three or four or whatever the stage is. And, and so she was doing, she practiced these jokes and she's just, she was creating never anything, nothing I've ever heard before. Like she was like, one of the jokes was like, uh, the good thing about being a terminal is that um, I have an excuse for ghosting guys now. Her whole 10 minutes was like all this stuff. And I'm like, that is amazing how, how like, yeah. and only she can tell these jokes because how do you, from, from her perspective? And so I don't know, is it maybe, and that's her, maybe her, her coping mechanism, I guess the, her process for, for dealing with that. I don't know what, I don't, I can't imagine going through that experience, but she's, she's got it figured out. Yeah. I, I love that. And there was also one thing you said, uh, I believe in your Ted talk talking about, Three things, health, great relationships, and a good reason to get up in the morning. And, you know, I'm sure having kids has like completely changed that. It's like, okay, if I ask you, what is a good reason you get up in the morning? Like, you're probably going to say your kids or at least your favorite one, right? right like right, right, right. before your kids, you know, what do you feel like got you up in the morning? Before the kids... It was, um, or even now, I just don't, I just know that kids is a thing that you would say. And so I, I want an answer besides that. No, you don't want a stock answer is what you're saying. <laughs> but there, there is something to be said about that. Cause before kids, I was living to create, let's, let's put it that. So it, I was, my whole life was based around, uh, my creativity or art or, or whatever it happened to be, like my songwriting, my music career. Right. And then. Uh, as you get older and more mature and have a different perspective, it's like now I create the art around my lifestyle and I'm much happier because of it. I don't get stressed out anymore. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the call, I don't know if we've recorded that part yet or not, but it's, um, I, I, this last winter, I, I toured, you know, these beautiful exotic places coming from Canada because that's the way I'd like to spend my winters. I don't want to be in minus a hundred degree weather. So I brought my family down. We used Florida as our, as our, hub and uh, my kids were were just doing online learning and it was just it was the best winter we had ever experienced right so i'm creating a life around uh, my art and then using art as the byproduct of my lifestyle so why do i get up now it's to just in in you know is it that's the reason i suppose yeah to enjoy now more than just like waking up and 
okay, I have to create today to get to someplace. Yeah. I mean, and, and ego was a big one, right? Like you, you create to, for, to feed your ego. And after a while, after you <laughs> 20 years of failure, it was like, you just get punched in the ego hundreds and thousands of times. And then after a while, it's just like, now it's just part of the journey. It's just like, when you get a no, it's just like, okay, well, let's pivot. Let's try a different direction. And it's just the long game now, instead of the getting discouraged with the short game. Yeah. The long game. I like that. I like that. Okay. A couple more questions. Questions I ask every guest. First one, what have you been doing lately to level up? A couple of things you've been doing. What have I been doing lately to level up? So I try to, um, so it's easy to get caught in the same patterns so I was in the, in the cover bands for so long, right? And it's great. You're making a little bit of money. You're having a lot of fun, but you are, that's not a way to grow. Like, you no, know, you're not going to get rich playing other people's music. So uh, again, it's, uh, I'm getting to today, but that was, this is back then. I, then I was like, all right, we got to start releasing songs like original music. So I released the music and that's the one that got uh, in the commercials and the whole licensing thing, right? So today I have like the mindset of, all right, I can continue doing these uh, open mics, and and, the, and I, in the comedy world, you can, you've probably met these people who just do comedy clubs, and that's their whole thing is comedy club after comedy club after comedy club. I don't necessarily, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't love weeks at a comedy club. I like it every now and then. Like here's a good example. This week, I'm having a lot of fun, but if I had to do this week after week after week, I would probably hurt myself. So I try to uh, mix it up and intentionally just try to get bigger and, and more interesting gigs and separate myself as an artist. So again, I got in, into the cruise ship thing. So I've been yeah. I've been uh, flying over the place. Like on, next week, I fly to Alaska to do a show, and just being in di- in different in front of different audiences and being in different environments levels up my creativity because it forces me to conform to exactly that like i can't use the same stock things anymore i have to create humor around a new narrative yeah do you feel like comedy clubs are maybe more of a negative vibe no i mean it, it, comedy clubs I, I sort of use it as a place to develop and then i take whatever i develop there and bring it to like the theater so when i'm doing cruise ships there's comedy clubs and there's the theater and i'm usually in the theater because i'm more of a a variety act like I, I create like a narrative around my show instead of just telling jokes so when i network with the other comedians they look at it as a job which is there's absolutely nothing wrong with that so they get in there they do their time they go and then they try to get to the next gig they get in there they do their time and they go and they can and they and they do really well on stage because they're they're telling the same jokes over and over again and they can repeat that for several years because it's it's again it's it's sort of just repetitive job but every time i do mine i'm videotaping it i'm trying to optimize the perfect way to create this show to create something else so i can never just relax i would love to just relax and sit on this particular show and narrative for a long period of time and just embrace but every time i go out i'm trying to you know switch things around and put new it's a very interactive show. I put new videos. We have this big LED wall behind me, and I'm always trying to uh, do different tech and, and all this sort of stuff. So it's I'm always trying to change it around to create 
something special so that I could eventually film the proof of concept and then distribute that to uh, like a network or something like that, right? So that if you could circle back and answer your question about leveling up, I have the big picture in mind as opposed to how am I going to pay my rent with this, this set, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's more like an investment mindset as opposed to a job mindset. Yeah, I like that. I saw a couple of videos on TikTok, one in particular where it's like, how do you deal with haters? And then somebody was talking about your kid's car seat and it being so dirty. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like I, having the, the clubs are great because it's you're just you and the audience. But like now I'm in this theater. And so it's I, I can use this big wall behind me, this big projector screen and really have an interactive experience. So like when I tell my tornado jokes on stage, I can literally show them the video I created right after the tornado. It gives them a better context. And so I've, I've started to incorporate like at the end of the show, like I'll show some of my more popular TikToks. And my demographic is, is like moms over 40, right? And so these are the cruise ship people. So they'll actually, half of the audience will have already seen this video and they already follow me on TikTok, which I didn't realize. It's just, it's a fantastic platform. I guess just these, these videos get shared everywhere, right? They're like, oh my God, I didn't recognize you without your cardigan. <laughs> yeah, so, they, so um, I'm having a lot of fun with that. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not tried to level up with from the from the clubs i'm not saying there's anything wrong with clubs i'm just saying if you're not putting in the effort to change your circumstance how are you going to uh you can't complain about it yeah see that's a big thing can't complain about it and and it's up to preference some people like comedy clubs and you like what you're doing so one last question but before that where can people find you what what's the best platform for people to find you and support you I spend most of the time on Instagram or Facebook. So at Rory Gardner Music on Instagram, at Rory Gardner Music on Facebook. I just, you know, a lot of it's the same, but it's uh, that's where I'm most active. I I was really, I loved Twitter back in the day, but I spread like the last five years I've ignored it. So it's just, I don't know what it is. Then like before the tornado, it was, it was YouTube. I was trying to be the YouTube guy. I don't really post there anymore. I post my music videos there. You know, I create the comedic music videos, the occasional sketch, but now, you know, it's TikTok has taken over that world. So yeah, I'm on there as well. I think it's for regarding music on TikTok as well. Cool. Well, the last question I have for you is for some advice. What advice would you give creators or artists these days who are like so narrow focused on this one goal or this one plan, you know, what are some ways that they can be more open with their creativity and not put so much pressure on it? Well, I would, my first advice would be to find someone who knows more about this than I do and ask them. Uh, my second advice <laughs> is just uh, change your mindset, like change your, your framing, right? So it's like, if your art is your identity, then create your, your, your lifestyle around that. So again, I lived comfortably because I, I've had the position to have the, the side income while creating the art to begin with. So, yeah. but no one knows that about me because my identity is entertainer or artist. And that's what I project online. So that's the Rory Gardner that everybody knows, but no one sees behind the scenes of what it, it does to do that. I don't post things about my kids online, not because I don't love them, because this is not who I want to project to the world. So 
just choose what you want to show people and then and then just you know shield yourself with that and then uh, keep the rest of it to yourself and um, you know some stuff is is better to uh, <laughs> to keep for yourself yeah totally i mean with social media nowadays people are like you have to show everything you have to be vulnerable and you have to show people your life so you don't feel that way obviously and you you kind of keep that veil up just so you can enjoy kind of behind the scenes stuff or what is that reason, I guess? Uh, no, I mean, like, so again, in, in my balanced artist podcast, I talk about the the stuff that no one else really brings up. It's like, like passive income. Like how do you create passive income as an artist entertainer? Because that is, is optimal. Like why not have just mailbox money while you're able to now focus on your art and what it is that you do. Right. So and that it's not uncommon amongst look at like magic johnson anyone like they're once you become once you have a little jingle in your jeans you become an entrepreneur you just don't see that robert downey jr's iron man he's got like uh he owns several companies vanilla ice he's a one-hit wonder but he makes most of his money today in real estate flipping right so but they don't show that like they, they yeah. you you are a fan because you are that of the artist but don't be afraid to and that's the perception that up and coming artists see. It's like, well, if he, if he's doing that, uh, you know, the if he's, they assume they're creating all their income based on what you is you see, but it's not necessarily the truth. I'm trying to reveal that in these conversations. Yeah, I, I find that super interesting. Um, well, thank you so much, everyone listening. Go follow Rory. Go find him on his website and go listen to his podcast. I didn't know you had a pod. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but I didn't know you had a podcast. So I'm excited to listen to that. Again, because it's not like I'm a, it goes back to what I just said is I'm a, yeah. a comedian and um, musician. And, but the podcast is very like niche, right? It's, it's like, it's like a, it's, it's like learning. It's not entertaining at all. It's more yeah. like, uh, here's how this person did it let's figure it out. It's, it's so it's not necessarily the brand, right? So that's why I don't mention it a lot in my, that's why you've never heard of it. It's just, it's uh, people find it when they, when they need it. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rory, for being here and sharing your wisdom and your experience and uh, some laughter and uh, comfortability. Comfortableness. Comfortableness. And thank you to everyone listening This is Level Up with Shay, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please share it on Instagram and tag me at Level Up with Shay and tag Rory at Rory Gardner. Go follow Rory on social media and get a laugh in because he posts some really funny stuff. All of the links you need to find him are in the show notes. Subscribe to Level Up with Shay wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's time to level up.